We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 397 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and since I didn't plan to do a podcast with a guest between the Mallorca match and the Inter Milan match, instead, coming up is the audio from both the Mallorca 5 headlines from YouTube and the Inter Milan preview that is likely out by the time this is hitting your ears. Post-match, there will be a podcast due out early Wednesday and a 5 headlines at night, so look out for both of those things. And I do want to add a big thank you to everybody who has been excited about this season and engaging with my content, whether here on your podcast apps or on YouTube or Barca blog or Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or Patreon or wherever. I tend to say we when talking about the Barcelona podcast because over the years, you've heard so many voices and so many conversations going behind the scenes to make the podcast happen, including with family and friends. But unless otherwise stated, everything you see under the Barcelona podcast umbrella is me. And the little messages of thanks since the season started that I've been seeing on different social media have been really nice, and I want to say thank you for that. And what's been just as nice is seeing some of those numbers on my podcast and videos, and those numbers going up as Barcelona have once again had a little bit of success on the field. Those kind of numbers help me to keep doing this and keep doing so much of it. So again, thank you so much to all of you. And if you could, keep sharing it, because as you probably figured out, I can do a lot of things in the content creation world, but I haven't yet truly figured out marketing, because that's not really a one-man job, but I haven't figured out and incorporate that into what little time I have left. So sharing it where you know I'm not is always, always appreciated. So again, thanks everybody. Now let's review Mallorca. I don't want to hear anything in these here comments about how Barca played today. Like I said on the pod, the whole point of October is to make it out intact and get the job done. This being the first match back from international break, all those injuries that Barcelona sustained, some rotation was done today, as well as getting the three points against Mallorca on the road, I'd say that Xavi did just that. He got the job done. Look at the lineup. No Pedri, no Eric Garcia, Pique and Alba starting for the first time together, and Ansu's first Liga start. And to be honest, PK for Garcia in hindsight was definitely the right choice. PK was great in the air against Mariki, and that made a ton of sense for Xavi to make that move. And while it did seem on paper like Xavi took a lot of chances, look at the players that were available. He really didn't. He kind of did play it as safe as possible, if you will, for this kind of matchup. If I were him, maybe I would have got a bit fancy. Starting Louis and PK and Christensen in a 3-5-2 at the back just to start the match, you know, for the first two minutes. And if you concede in the first two minutes, 
Regardless of the lineup, you were always going to concede in the first two minutes. I say that a bit in jest, but I think it would have been pretty funny to see Mallorca be a bit discombobulated for two minutes, and then Barcelona get back into their regular lineup. And I do say all that in jest, because just like you, I did want there to be a bit of fun in this match. I mean, it really just was about survival. That said, with survival the name of the game, let's get into it, the five headlines from Barcelona's 1-0 win over Mallorca. One is it won't be the first time. Well, I'm not actually sure it's even the first time already. It's probably the second or third time that Lewandowski has done this, but it won't be the first time that Luis saves Barcelona, and it certainly won't be the last time either. For Barcelona, this match was going to be ugly from minute one all the way to minute 92 and 93, and they had to, uh, had to get through that initial slog. I looked up the word, it actually just means when you're kind of slowing down and jogging, it's not an official word, but slog is definitely how I would describe the first like 25 minutes of that game prior to the goal happening. It was just a lot of the ball being kicked around, a lot of punting, a lot of not even playing out of the back for possession for Barcelona for possession's sake, and yet Lewandowski kind of out of nothing, there was a bit of a lull, scores the first goal, and decides this entire match in just one single moment. Luis supporting Ansu on the wing, Ansu has a pretty good fake and a pass in between two defenders, with Lewandowski moving into the space and behind. Then, it was all about the number 9, cuts back and just fires it to the far post. Beautiful goal, beautiful individual goal by Lewandowski. The kind of goal, too, that takes pressure off a team. And that was what I've said from the very start, and I'll keep saying it all season long. The one thing that Lewandowski does is score goals, yes, but I think more importantly for the psychological aspects of this team, it allows them to trust in one figurehead. It's the same thing that this team did to Messi, but the difference is they put the build-up and the execution on Messi, meaning he had to create them and finish them. For Lewandowski, they just have this institutional trust that this guy is going to come up and score the goals I need him to. And so far, he's done just that. These are the goals that just get you enough points, as I keep saying, to survive in the Liga throughout the campaign. And a little bit of history, too. With that goal, he becomes the first player to score eight in his first seven La Liga games since 1996, when Christian Vieira did it for Atletico Madrid. And that stat, of course, courtesy of Mr. Chip on Twitter, who I always say, gotta give that guy a follow. Two is that the right side was a trip, and it's not a good trip. Trip doesn't necessarily mean vacation. It's kind of just one of those grinds to the grocery store where you're standing in the aisle, can't figure out what you came to the store for at all, and then you wind up why you made the trip at all. That's kind of what the right side of Barcelona felt like today between Kessier, Dembele, and Balde at right back, and three different players all kind of had what I would consider less than stellar performances for three very different reasons. Kessier is the one that I start with because he's the one that kind of concerns me. Because that right interior spot is the one that, you know, I thought that he'd be battling for Gabi. Instead, Gabi moves over to the left interior spot and still plays better than Kessier. Gabi showing you why he's starting over the new midfielder. Now, I did say in the last pod, and while I'm so forgiving to Ferran Torres and other players who come in, I kind of have to be patient with Kessier too. I know there were some big expectations for him coming in from AC Milan. He just won Serie A. And I think he's comfortable knowing who he is at 25. But it seems like it's going to take him a little time to get used to Xavi's system and his instructions because there were times, especially in the first 25 minutes, where he would either be too high to set up a move and then there seemed to be this huge gap between the back line and the forwards. And then there were times when he'd drop in too deep. Then he wouldn't make that run through the midfield for Busquets or one of those center backs to find him. He wasn't really hitting any one-two of any players because his spacing was kind of all over the place. So you didn't really see him supporting in any of those triangles that we usually would see. Now again, it's not all on Kessier because that right side was kind of a mess, but for Kessier, unfortunately, it's not a performance that fills me as much confidence. Next up is, of course, Balde at the right back spot. And going back into my memory bank, 
I think for what I've known for Balde for the last five, six years, I mean, this is again going back to when he was basically a preteen. I know he was a center forward and he was really, really little. And then he was a left winger moving back to left back. And to my knowledge, he has never played on the right side. It was probably one random game some point when he was a U14 or something, a U15, but not since I have known of Alejandro Balde has he ever played at the right back spot. So it's pretty incredible that Xavi's just going to say, hey, you're a starting left back, and that's kind of where this is, right? To say you're our starting left back, so instead of trusting Marcos Alonso or Sergio Roberto risking him, we saw him come on for the last 10 minutes, you know that that's what Xavi wanted to from the beginning, which makes sense. Sergio Roberto is a right back, Alejandro Balde is a left back, and yet Balde, instead of even Alba, was tasked with being on the right side. And it didn't work. He wasn't making the overlapping runs. It seemed like every first touch would bring him backwards because he would take that touch with his left foot and not his right. And I don't blame Balde for this. Again, he was playing completely out of position, and he did just enough, just enough. But it was kind of shutting down everything that Dembele wanted to do. And you know, in the case of Dembele, a lot of it goes on the fact that Balde was playing on the right. It's hard to fault Dembele when he's running into two, or definitely a double team at all times. Sometimes it was also triple when that third man came. That said, Dembele, there are those games that I always mention that he didn't really bring his best in this game from the very start. Before I even saw that it was going to be consistent double teams, it felt like Dembele did not have his A game. And part of why I say it's not his A game is I don't think defensively Dembele was particularly great today either. It wasn't bad. Like, same with Balde. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't necessarily bad. I think Kessier was kind of in the camp of bad. But Dembele and Balde, they were just fine on that right side. But certainly, that is not where Barcelona was going to get a victory today. And they were kind of having to hope the rest of their teammates were picking up the slack. Three is yellows out of hand. Kind of dictated this match. I know Mallorca is yellow and red. And I think yellow, and thankfully red was not one of the colors here. But yellow was certainly the primary color for this match especially in that end of that first half where the match got away from the referee. There were four yellows handed out in six minutes, which tells you a little bit more, I think, about the way the game is going, the way the game has been played, and unfortunately is likely going to be played in the second half. And I think the official probably got a few wrong in just a short amount of time. It's a makeup call. I think both teams are going to feel aggrieved. And the good news is, not to say good news, because you're going to see suspensions later down the line because of a match like this, which is unfortunate. Even Boosie picking up a, a yellow there in the second half that he probably shouldn't have. But over the course of a season, yeah, these yellows are going to stink. But for this match alone, thankfully, it was not decided by the yellows. We saw Christensen get one. It was an unnecessary yellow, but fully deserved. He left a boot in late. Then PK gets a yellow right after Gabi gets brought down. And I was kind of wondering at that point, is being physical with Gabi the game plan against him? Because it doesn't really work, and I'm fine with that. There was a yellow on Juan Costa a few minutes later. That felt like a bit of a makeup call for what should have been a yellow for Gabi's foul, and then Piquet gets it instead. Then Kessier two minutes later, that was more than deserved on the pullback. And it was well done by Piquet and Christensen, by the way, though, getting those first half yellows and then being completely composed, putting out all the fires in the second half and not committing any unnecessary errors that could complicate the match for Barcelona. And as I said, those yellows kind of did sum up the match. And Barcelona winning this one one nothing. I want to remind you, too, that that zero in that one zero is kind of more important because Barca did have the one than a two nothing would be. So I am totally fine with that back line. Almost proud of the fact that that back line loses Koundé, doesn't really have a fully healthy Roberto, doesn't have Hector Bellerin, doesn't have Ronald Araujo, and yet they were able to get a clean sheet in a match that they did not play well in. Because that is headline four. You had to keep the clean sheet. Don't forget, Marco Ander Ter Stegen picks up another clean sheet this season. 
And there were those moments in this game when Barca had the majority of possession, and yet their goalkeeper had to bail them out at certain times. You had Ruiz de la Galarreta on that corner attempt in the first half. Barcelona had to get that one right. And then it's a mistake by Balde being late coming from the right. It doesn't grab the runner, so an open shot on goal. For Juan Costa, Ter Stegen somehow shuts that one down. And then there were some late chances for Mallorca too, after their two chances to start the second half. We're talking late in the last 5-10 minutes. Barcelona were having trouble getting the ball out of goal kick situations. And the final one from Kang and Lee in the last two minutes, I mean, again, Ter Stegen's positioning just had to be right. And it was an A-plus performance from Mark Ander Ter Stegen because he was cool, calm, and I mean, there was no moment that the ball was close to slipping by him. He had it. He had this whole match under control. And headline number five is one October match at a time. A reminder that I know this game was kind of ugly. Even this match review, you're like, eh, what am I really here for? They scored one good goal. Lewandowski scored a wonder goal. Got in, got out. I mean, who really cares about the rest of it? Totally agree. It was an ugly, ugly match. But it's all about survival in the month of October. You can only play the next one. It's Xavi's job to play out the month. And this rotation and most of this game was based on the entire month, not just this match against Mallorca. Heading into Inter, I expect Pedri, of course, to start. Probably Eric Garcia coming back in. And I wouldn't be too surprised if we see Christensen on the right, which is something I'll likely get into in the match preview, which will be out in a few days. As I said, this back line is beat up. They were coming back from the international break, fever virus, and all of that. And Barcelona probably could have taken a draw in this one. But instead, they get the three points and they march on to the next one in the month of October. They get the clean sheet, and now that's one match down and eight to go. And there's a good argument that this was the easiest, on paper, of the nine this month, all eight remaining could, in theory, on paper, as I said, be harder than this one. And because there isn't much time to regroup, this is where I leave you, because I'll see you soon. And until then, Forza Barca. UEFA Champions League Soccer is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Nine months of heart-stopping, hold-your-breath exhilaration is underway for the biggest stars, top teams, and scariest fan bases across Europe. Watch every match from the group stage through the knockout rounds, as Benzema and Real Madrid, oh I know, defend their title against Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea, PSG, Barcelona, I'll say it again, Barcelona, and more in soccer's biggest club competition. So don't miss a single sweat-filled second of regulation time, stoppage time, and extra time. And stream every match of the UEFA Champions League live, exclusively on Paramount+. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Puyol or Piquet and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. 
And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. October is going to go at breakneck pace with little time in between huge Liga matches and those Champions League, well, fate-defining Champions League matchups in the group stage. Such is the case when there's a Winter World Cup. While Xavi did pick up his 18th straight unbeaten away result against Mallorca, beating Zidane's record with the most unbeaten results to start a La Liga coaching tenure, on the road at least. Unfortunately, the record is still in the Liga, and Barcelona are going to need a result in Italy to keep their Champions League campaign on track. After that game against Mallorca, I totally understand why Kules might be coming into this matchup with Inter with a bit of pessimism, especially with all those injuries and absences and that ugly game that Barca did play on the road against Mallorca. Fortunately, I can tell you that Inter Milan fans aren't coming into this game with any more confidence, having suffered a loss to Roma on the exact same day that Barca got by Mallorca. So instead of dwelling on Barca today, we will talk about what Xavi might do at the end of this, but instead, We're going to give our focus to the team that Barcelona are most likely facing off for second place in the group with. That means a ticket to the Champions League knockout. And that means the opponent is Inter Milan. So today we're going to talk about Inter Milan's manager, possible formation, as well as almost any player that might play a key role in a result for Inter Milan against Barcelona. And we do begin by talking about Inter's manager, and that is Simone Inzaghi, brother of the famous Italian striker Filippo Inzaghi, who fans my age will remember at Juve and AC Milan in the late 90s and 2000s. Simone, meanwhile, is probably best remembered for his days at Lazio during the same period, and also as a striker. But he's a manager now, having managed Lazio from 2016 to 2021, and some of their more successful seasons of late, winning the Supercoppa Italiana twice and the Coppa Italia once also reaching the Champions League in 2020-21 for the first time since 2008. That all earned him a move to Inter Milan in June of 2021, so last summer. Last season, he managed to win the Supercoppa Italiana and the Coppa Italia, beating Juve twice in extra time to win the trophies. 
Inter Milan also finished last season second in the table, just behind AC Milan, and they did finish with the best attacking record with 84 goals for. For a manager that's been around the top flight of Italian football for six years now, it's surprising to me that you don't hear more about him outside of Italy. And maybe one of those reasons is because there's not a lot of question marks around Inzaghi. He just goes out and manages and does his job. And it is interesting to me too that managers seem in today's day and age to be either known as player managers or these great tacticians. And it seems to me, just from what I've heard from Inter Milan fans, that Inzaghi is like 65% manager of a player and like 35% tactician. That's not to knock his tactical expertise. It wins games and it's not dogmatic either. He is willing to change things up to get results, something he's been able to do over the last six years to some good effect as a manager. What you do need to know about his tactics starts with his formation choice though. It's a 3-5-2 and a 5-3-2 out of possession. His team can and will play with the ball and we'll get into that nuance in a second. Since he does play in a 3-5-2, it is a bit of a challenge to talk about defenders and midfielders and forwards because that formation is so fluid. So instead, I think we're going to talk about some of the things that Inter want to do to succeed against Barcelona, and that'll probably highlight the important players along the way. When talking about the men on the field, we have to begin with Latar Martinez, who might not be entirely fit for this match, but if he can go, he's still going to be the one who all the bright lights are on. He leads the team with three goals, which for Kules, they're a bit spoiled by Lewandowski, but three goals is just fine to lead a team right now that has a bit of balance in their attack. But Lotaro is having a good season now at 25, continuing to refine his game to make his team better, not just himself. This season he can be spotted making near post runs, looking for headers to get himself to knock to the back post, and on set pieces he's particularly dangerous for this because Hakan Talanhulu is a terrific set piece specialist. Talanhulu being confident with a long shot also opens up lanes for Lotaro, who has more first time shots on goal than anyone else in Europe's top 5 leagues this season. He's been fantastic, putting himself in great spots. Next to him won't be Romelu Lukaku, who is out with injury. Instead, it'll most likely be Edin Dzeko, who with his size and experience can be a bit of a pest at this point. He did have a goal called offside against Roma over the weekend, and the game kind of showcased what he still is. He's faster from point A to B than I think most opponents realize, but he's more than willing just to kind of take up space in the middle there, let things happen around him, and be prepared in the box to strike. So in the case of Martinez and Dzeko, and some of what I told you about the first touches of Lataro Martinez, and the way that Dzeko we know he likes to play, I think you've started to realize that those fours for Inter Milan, they need service to survive. And this is actually where I think that Barcelona could have some kind of a slight advantage, in that midfield. The Inter midfield will most likely consist of Nicola Barea and Chalanhulu, and the third, well, that's a question we'll get to soon. But the wingbacks are just as essential to this system as the midfielders, and these five obviously define games. Inter likes to overload their right side. A former right back, now turned right wing back in Denzel Dumfries, well he's going to be the key man. He's quick, he gets out wide, and he also has the ability to make up space and defend and get back in that spot on the same lane. And as they're building up play, he'll stay wide, that being Dumfries, Brea supports, and Talanulu is a left interior but also has the clearance to roam when necessary. Barea will look for long balls out wide to Dumfries when the opponent gets stretched, and Barea comes back to receive the ball from the center backs. On the left will likely be Federico Di Marco, who is a fine player, but one that Dembele should look to attack. Robin Gosens may be good to go there as well, but since they both played together this season a few times, it could be Gosens as a tucked in left interior and Di Marco outside of him. These little selection nuances are things for Xavi to ponder. And I don't want to downplay Di Marco either. 
He isn't a household name outside of Italy, but he did just score that one goal against Roma, and he does put the ball in the back of the net in pretty different ways coming off that wing. If it's not Gosens as that third midfielder, it also won't be Marcelo Brozovic, who's out injured for this game and the one next week too. The real question will be, does Inzaghi trust 20-year-old holding midfielder Christian Aslani, who just started his first match for Inter against Roma, in the other midfield spot next to Berea and Chalunhulu? On paper, he makes the most sense to contend with Barca's suspected midfield trio of Pedri, Gabi, and Dusi. But Aslani would immediately become the player that Barca would need to pick on, get Dembele and Rafinha inverting at him as much as possible, and go from there. Inzaghi has options for that third midfield spot, but just like Barca and right back, I think there actually are right answers and wrong answers, and sitting here, I'm not sure what the right answers are, but you and I both know that there are wrong answers. And I think the coaches that get some of those really important 50-50 positions right are going to be the ones to come up with more success and maybe some kind of result from this game. Off the bench, or maybe potentially starters, Joaquin Correa is the forward, the winger, and he's kind of curious with Inter. I'm not sure where he necessarily fits. Yes, the answer is on the wing, but he doesn't really do a lot of defending. But when Inter are going for it, Correa is the option. He's a winger by trade, and he's really, really fast. It's kind of what you need to know. Hendrik Mkhitaryan is a midfield option off the bench. Some creativity, yes, but certainly Mkhitaryan is not the player that you might remember from, I mean, even going back to his Shakhtar Donetsk days, or most likely his Dortmund days, or even his more recent Roma days. Now to talk about Inter's press and the way they want to go about that part of the game, we generally have to focus on the back line. It's not a high-octane press, but the goal seems to be to put just enough pressure on the opposing either centre-backs or full-backs to bomb the ball forward looking for a forward. At that point, Milan Skriniar will step forward to try to win that 50-50, knowing that the other center backs are there to support him. And Skriniar does win a ton of those 50-50s without fouling the forward, which keeps Inter on the front foot. Skriniar may be the big name, but maybe 23-year-old Alessandro Bastoni should be. He's actually been much more reserved this season, not going forward as much while playing as the left center back in the back three. Like the midfield, I can lock in Skriniar and Bastoni as definitely two of the three starters. Then for the last spot, that's where there's a little bit of a question, but I think less of a question than there is in the midfield. For the back line in that game against Roma, we just saw 34-year-old Francisco Acerbi, and he actually played in the middle of that back line. But more likely, with Stefan Defry the other option, I'm assuming he'll be the one stepping back into the starting lineup for Acerbi, and you're going to see a back three of Skriniar and Bastoni with De Vry maybe in the middle. It could be Skriniar in the middle. Again, these little nuances and wrinkles that could decide this match. One of the criticisms against Inter Milan this season is they are lacking some dynamism in that midfield. I told you about the set pieces abilities that they have, as well as the long balls and ways that they can kind of break down an opponent very methodically building up from the back. But again, it's those little blinks of an eye, those moments, where Barcelona should be able to shut them down. If you don't allow Inter to hit you the way they want to, that being slow and methodically, I'm not sure what they can do on the counter, which in this case, because of the way that Barcelona have been playing this year, might actually support the Catalans. Because of the way that Inter Milan play, they put a lot of pressure on their midfielders to be those key men to unlock the opposition with just one ball. So make sure you close down those passing lanes and you're definitely going to have some success on your press. And I think that's going to be my key matchup, if you will. It's the Barcelona press against Inter Milan. And it's one of those weird things where Barcelona are on the road, but we always expect Barca to have more possession. But in this kind of game, the way Inter want to play, that might not be the case. And I'm just telling you, that might be okay. In net, Andre Anano, the former La Masia goalkeeper and Ajax goalkeeper, is the player that Kool-Aids may know. But the starter, and the guy you probably should know if you've watched any football in Italy over the last, what, 10 plus years, 
the ageless, and I guess ageless, but he is 38-year-old Samir Andonovic. Andonovic is a regular starter, and I expect him to bring that experience between the posts for this one. Now let's talk about the stakes of this match. It's Inter this week on the road in Italy, and then it's at the Spotify Camp No next week. I've been saying it on the podcast, and I'll say it again here. Barcelona need to get four points. I know two wins. That'll put everybody at ease. And a win in Italy, that'll certainly calm all the nerves. And I think that'll make the following week's preparations a lot easier too. Remember, Barcelona playing basically every three or four days. So very little time to prepare for their next match. Four points is the way that Barcelona advance in the Champions League. A draw in Italy, and it has to be a win as a Spotify camp. No. And this is the way the Champions League goes. You have just six matches. Bayern Munich is going to be the top of the table. Victoria Pilsen is going to be far behind. And that means it's the two in the middle. It's Barcelona, it's Inter Milan fighting out for that final spot. So you have to beat the team right in front of you. You have to beat your rival. And these two games decide it all. So finally, how will Xavi handle everything that we discussed? We already know that there's no Rajo, no Kunde, no Bayerin. And by the time this is out, we'll have a better idea or a clearer idea that there's likely no Frankie de Jong and no Memphis Dubai. Inter Milan are also missing players, and looking at these two squads side-by-side, side, going toe-to-toe, on paper, there's no reason why kool cannot feel confident that their team is just as good or better than what Inter Milan are going to be putting out there. A lot of it comes down to the players who aren't injured too. For Barcelona, they've got a pretty healthy midfield and forward line. And if you win those two battles in a game, you likely have won the game. So there'll be zero surprise if we see Dembele, Lewandowski, and Rafinha up top, of course, that midfield trio, Pedri got a break against Mallorca, so of course that midfield trio is going to be Pedri, Gabi, and Busquets. I think Kessier's unfortunate performance against Mallorca, also part of that equation. To make it easy, Frankie de Young's injury. Again, I've got no thinking to do in that midfield. And along that back line, I think we're going to see Alonso at left back, just like we saw against Bayern Munich. Of course, Christensen has played his way into the starting role. And I think we're also going to see Garcia and Pique, but with those two as the center backs and Christensen on the right. Now hear me out on this. I know we haven't seen it just yet. And it's interesting too that in the preseason, Christensen was the one center back that exclusively played as a center back and did not go out wide at all. And I know it also seems nuts because Balde just played on the right side against Mallorca and Sergio Roberto might be fully fit. But I think because of Ed and Dzeko, that's why I think PK gets the nod instead of Roberto. But as I say that, I'm not sure I have the full answer either because those wingbacks are going to be a problem, especially for Eric Garcia. We've seen what happens when opponents are able to draw him out to the wing. So maybe we could even see Alonso, PK, Christensen, and Sergio Roberto if he's healthy. That would make sense to me as well, again, just to deal with those wing backs that Inter Milan have out wide. And of course, an informed Ter Stegen will be a net, but you already knew that. The right back position and that back line in totality is going to be a talking point for a few weeks now. And the way that Xavi goes in this one could tell us a lot about the ways that he's going to try to solve the same problem coming up in El Clasico against Real Madrid if Jules Koundé isn't healthy. Still, Barcelona has all the tools to take four points against Inter Milan for the next two weeks. Heck, take all six. Barcelona are leading the Liga at the moment. They should be flying high and have the confidence to take care of business in the Champions League as well. So make sure to keep your eyes and ears peeled for all the post-match reactions. Of course, there'll be a podcast and a match review. And until then, as always, Forza Barca. So there it is, the Mallorca review, and then that Inter Milan preview. I did watch, I don't know if you can tell this, but I did watch some Inter Milan in preparation. There wasn't too many games to go through, but as you heard, I did kind of get a feel of the kind of team that Barcelona will be facing, and the big questions really come down to how Barcelona will deal with a formation that is different from their own. 
Different spots on the field are going to be open, and there will be space available. It's a matter of where and which team exploits those spaces. So look out for that podcast, as I said, as well as a match review in, what, about the 12 to 24 hours after the match ends, and you will know all the other spots, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon. There's so many different ways to make sure you don't miss anything. Subscribing on YouTube, another big way. So if you're still with me, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Barca.